Our gospel reading is admittedly a lengthy one. It is a continuation of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, two weeks ago, we heard that the Lord turned the values of the world upside down. It will be the meek that will inherit the world, not the powerful. And last week, we heard that Jesus called his disciples in every age of his church the salt of the earth, light of the world, endowed with the capacity to season and to enlighten others with the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do for every man and woman. Now we hear him do something that must have been very unsettling for those who are trying to devoutly live their lives according to the Torah, the law of Moses, the commandments. Jesus established a new covenant based not merely on observing the commandments of the law, but something far more difficult, to use the commandments for an interior conversion of heart. And Jesus began by quoting the Torah. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. And you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce. And again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, do not take a false oath, but make good to the Lord all that you vow. In each case, however, Jesus asserts his divine authority, saying, but I say to you, and then proceeds to stress that what matters is not our settling for fulfilling the externals, the bare minimum of the commandments, but that we use the commandments to encounter the giver of the commandments, God the Father, who gave the law so that each person could use the law to become the fullness of what he or she was created to be. And I have no doubt that at this point of the Sermon on the Mount, observant Jews began to drift away from Jesus because they perceived him as redefining the Torah. I suspect that even some disciples who were following Jesus found him to be too much. And 2,000 years later, Jesus still manages to make the hearers of his gospel uncomfortable. The Torah says, you shall not kill. But Jesus, the wisdom of God become flesh, says, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. How many here have been angry? You all raise your hands or you're going to confession right now. Now, most of us can obey the commandment, you shall not kill, but it is a far greater interior struggle, and for some, a struggle over a lifetime to surrender our anger, our desire for revenge against another who has harmed us or someone that we love. We do not like to think that anger is the moral equivalent of killing, but for Jesus, it is. And that can be very unsettling. Most of us can avoid the sin of adultery, but we will allow many adulteries 
that make the act of adultery ever more possible, such as making excuses to avoid quality time with the spouse, couples not being faithful to date night. When I work with engaged couples, I urge them, you have to establish date night. You have to be faithful to this and without the kids. Men, in particular, justifying the use of pornography as a harmless pastime, not realizing that pornography is a form of adultery because it makes the sexual fantasy of an image more important than the spouse. Couples avoiding discussion of serious issues which permits resentments to grow and fester but they will discuss them with a friend of the opposite sex who gives a listening ear. And that can create the dangerous illusion of an intimacy. These are the things that Jesus calls us to tackle head on with brutal self-honesty to preserve a marriage. Jesus' views on divorce were shocking to the people of his day and they remain shocking in our own. Divorce is so rampant in our society that we take it as almost normal, with little regard for the damage that it creates in the lives of spouses, children, family life, and even the life of the larger community and our nation, whose very stability depends on solid marriages and family life. There is no government program that can even begin to match the benefits to its citizens than a good marriage and family life. Sadly, people often marry someone they really shouldn't have, thinking that perhaps the emotion of love is a sufficient basis for a marriage or, well, there are some things about him or her that I didn't care for, but I can change that. I can correct them. Not going to happen. There must first be a solid foundation of friendship, the acceptance of the other as irreplaceable, a non-substitutable gift from God. When sometimes when engaged couples come in, one of the first questions I will ask them is, what makes you think that God is calling you into this holy way of life? And they look at me as if to say, is there another priest I can go to? Because by this point, they picked out the wedding invitations, the caterer, the musicians, the wedding cake. They got it all. They're just thinking by coming to me. They're jumping through the hoops and going, yeah, not happening. No. Some think that if they just shack up, they will discover that they're meant to be together when nothing could be further from the truth. And by the way, the data is increasingly showing that couples that shack up have a higher divorce rate than couples that do not. We also are beginning to see that it's the woman who suffers the most in a shack-up relationship, most especially if her finances have been intertwined with the finances of the man. And sometimes women report feeling trapped in that relationship. I realize you're not supposed to say shack up. I understand that. It's, I'm told it's not a pleasant word. Well, it's not a pleasant reality either. 
The only people that truly live together are married people. Most of us agree that it's wrong to make a false oath. But how often do we encounter people, and perhaps we've been there ourselves, who needing for whatever reason to be the center of attention will say anything to remain that center of attention without any awareness or concern for the impact the lies will have. How many people are innocent who have been sent to prison because of false testimony? How many have lost their jobs their good reputations, or had their marriages destroyed by rumors, false statements, carefully worded innuendo to create in the minds of others something that never existed. Words are the only things we have to stay grounded in reality. Mess with words? We mess with reality, and in short time, our words become meaningless. Jesus is not content to allow his disciples to settle for merely keeping the externals of the law. As God, he calls his disciples to go beyond the external observances of the law and peer into the law's interior beauty, through which we are graced to mold and govern our lives.